This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're mindfully munching our way into episode number 74. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen. And I am thrilled to have Lily with me today. She is a guest and an expert on the topic of gestational diabetes, which I know a lot of you have questions about. So with that, let's jump right into the interview. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and I am thrilled to have a guest with us today on the podcast. Today we are talking to Lily Nichols. She's the author of Real Food for Gestational Diabetes, an effective alternative to the conventional nutrition approach. Lily is a registered dietitian and nutritionist and a certified diabetes educator. She's worked with hundreds of moms-to-be with gestational diabetes and has become one of the United States' most sought-after real food for pregnancy experts. Welcome to the show, Lily. I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. All right. I know that this is a really hot topic for moms, so let's just jump right into some questions about gestational diabetes. So sure. I think when a, when a mom hears that she's got gestational diabetes, she often feels scared, and I think often moms feel powerless. But there's a lot that a woman can do to monitor and even control her own blood sugar, right? Yes, correct. And I think you're exactly right. There's There's a lot of stigma and fear associated with gestational diabetes, and I think a lot of that comes from, you know, the people have heard stories from other women who have been, you know, forced to go on a really restrictive diet, and you have to poke your finger all the time to check your blood sugar, and you hear all these risks from your doctor, and it's just, it's very overwhelming. Um, So I think it's really helpful for moms to first, you know, understand exactly what gestational diabetes is, so they know what's going on in their body then start to understand how to monitor their blood sugar because that gives you sort of a feedback on how you're doing with your food and your lifestyle and everything, Um, and then get into the part of making changes. But a lot of times women will get the diagnosis, hear the risks, freak out, you know, radically change their diet, sometimes, you know, kind of starve themselves because they're afraid that everything is going to make their blood sugar go up. Um, and yeah. they can sort of get themselves in, in a worse place um, and be putting their baby in, in actually a, a greater risk of harm than if they just ate normally and started to understand what's going on in the, with their blood sugar and how food affects their blood sugar first before um, making a bunch of changes. Okay. So, so is, I mean, we know that we don't want moms to starve themselves. Um, But, you know, once they understand what's going on, is diet an effective way for her to control blood sugar levels in pregnancy? Actually, it is. And, of course, a lot of this depends on the type of of dietary care that a woman is given. So you've already introduced the title of my book, and it says it's an effective alternative to the conventional nutrition approach because we know that You know, unfortunately, the way that our dietary guidelines are set up in the U.S. and a lot of countries kind of follow suit, they're they're not really based on on the latest research. And uh, so the conventional gestational diabetes diet we know fails about 40% of the time. And a big reason for that is because it's 
usually excessively high in carbohydrates, and yeah. <laughs> carbohydrates are the foods that raise your blood sugar. So it seems obvious, but there's some, you know, there's some holes in the research um, that that not everybody has put the pieces together to see that, that that is an issue. So when it comes to, like, the conventional gestational diabetes diet, it's, it's okay, but it's not great. And some women will need to, um, in fact, eat a slightly lower carbohydrate diet to get their blood sugars under control. Um, we also know exercise helps with blood sugar numbers. And then for some women, depending on what's going on in their body, no matter how, quote-unquote, good they are with their diet or their exercise levels, some people will need the help of some medication or insulin to help keep their blood sugar at at normal levels. And that's just something that you kind of have to see for yourself what the case is. Um, And that's where you're, you know, being in close contact with your medical team is, is really helpful to see, you know, how much you can do with food and exercise and then beyond that if you need additional um, intervention, you know, it's, it's there for you. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that it's always so important to feel like you can really, you know, dialogue with your care providers and that you guys are a team. And so I, I really love your book because it emphasizes how much you can work and, you know, do your own research. And a lot of the mom's case studies that you included in the book, they've done their own research, but then you're able to present things to care providers. And I think it's so important for moms to realize that they can do that, that they can do the research, that they could read your book, that they can bring that to their care provider and then work together to help ensure their health and, of course, baby's health. And that's just so important. Right, exactly. And that's kind of, it's kind of a missing link in healthcare, unfortunately. There's a lot of communication barriers. And, you know, I, in addition to my book, I run a course for moms with gestational diabetes called the Real Food for Gestational Diabetes course. It's kind of obvious uh-huh. that I came up with the same title. Um, and so we have a community of moms that, that I interact with, and I hear so many stories of, like, miscommunication with their doctors, not getting to spend enough time with their healthcare providers, you know, not just doctors, but maybe not enough time with their nutritionist or nurse or somebody else. Um, and they really don't get a chance to to get really detailed, clear answers on their questions. I mean, there's so much that varies woman to woman, and you you need to have that feedback <laughs> to see how you're yeah. doing. But, you know, our healthcare system is, like, so overly stressed that, yeah. you know, unfortunately they don't always have the time. So that's, you know, that course and, and that dialogue is really helpful. If, if not, if you're not able to get that, clear dialogue with your healthcare team, at least you can also connect with other moms. You can kind of share what's going on and try to try to get answers. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's totally valid. Often the way that we find out is just by hearing other moms and then we can take their experiences and their information. And, and it it makes a nice starting point really, I think to start advocating for yourself and your baby, which we often find that we have to advocate throughout life for our children. So it's a good place to start. Oh, yes. Okay, so you've you've hinted at this already, but standard dietary recommendations for gestational diabetes, they call for pretty high levels of carbohydrate, and carbohydrates are sugars. Uh, and then they call for low calories, which you hinted at too. So why might this not be a good idea for mom and baby? Yeah. Well, the the issue with gestational diabetes, first and foremost, is that 
your blood sugar is too high during pregnancy. And when your blood sugar is too high, that can cause a variety of issues for both you um, and the baby, both during pregnancy and then long term. So it's kind of funny that the guidelines call for a relatively high carbohydrate diet. So they recommend a minimum of 175 grams of carbohydrates per day for women in their second and third trimester. Um, and then in addition to that, they, uh, you know, some women with gestational diabetes are also um, struggling with their weight. Either they started their pregnancy at a higher weight or they have gained weight more rapidly than than expected during their pregnancy. And that is actually a, a, an independent risk factor for having a large baby. So it's not just the blood sugar that can, you know, have issues, but but excessive weight gain as well. So a lot of times the the conventional response to that is we'll just limit the calories uh, mm-hmm. in your diet so that you don't gain weight quickly. But, you know, the, the calories in equals calories out equation is fatally flawed. <laughs> and and yes. we're getting to, you know, greater acceptance of that now. But um, that's sort of the conventional um, feeling about it. Unfortunately, if you, A, provide a lot of carbohydrates, Oftentimes, the blood sugars come up too high um, and that necessitates insulin and medication where if you would just reduce the amount of carbohydrates, the the effectiveness of a gestational diabetes diet goes way, way up. Um, and there's some, you know, controversy around the ideal level of carbohydrates during pregnancy and, oh, you can't go below the 175 grams. And you've read through my book, so you know, you know, my feeling on that. Um, is that that's not evidence-based, and so I have a whole chapter at the end of the book that goes through why um, a lower-carbohydrate diet can, in fact, be very useful and is also very safe during pregnancy. Um, but when it comes to specifically the low-calorie part, there's there's a couple of problems with that. Um, when you reduce calories, you're not just limiting the amount of energy that a mom has available to her from food, but you're also limiting her intake of many key nutrients for her growing Yeah, baby. yeah. And, the, I mean, it's it's a huge, it's just a huge problem. Um, but, you know, a lot of times the foods that you will limit when you're focused on calories are the foods that naturally contain fat. And a lot of those natural fat-containing foods are the ones that you actually need, in fact, for your baby's brain to develop properly, for their bone and skin and nails to grow properly. Um, so, you know, when we think of usual, like, oh, I'll just use calories to guide what I'm going to eat, you know, yeah. it usually means, like, not putting butter on your food or not eating nuts because those are high calorie, but I'll have these, you know, chips instead or I'll have this piece of fruit instead. Um, and unfortunately, when you eat a diet that's restricted in fat or restricted in calories, you get really hungry. And it usually ends up backfiring and you overeat other foods. And oftentimes it's carbohydrate foods because your blood sugar is low and your body is just sending you a, you know, a feedback signal like, hey, I need energy. I need my blood sugar to go up. And then you overeat carbohydrates and you end up in this cycle of erratic blood sugars, inadequate micronutrients for the baby. And it's just, you know, it's just a huge mess. So I'm, I'm one of the few dietitians who doesn't advocate for calorie counting at all, um, but especially not during not during pregnancy. Yeah, and I was, I mean, I personally was just, 
I was so thrilled to read that section in your book because that's just something that I see with a lot of moms, like even who are asking me when they have a gestational diabetes diagnosis or they're worried about it and they're given this sheet that's like this low salt, low calorie diet. And it's, it's just when you think about all that it takes to keep a mom's blood supply expanded and everything that it takes to nourish a baby and a placenta and everything, it's, it's just scary to think about limiting the nutrients that are required for that. So I was just so happy to see such a clearly laid out resource for a mom to address the issue that she's having but still get the nourishment that she needed. And that was just, that was that was so refreshing. Oh, good. <laughs> I know. You know, when I was, I was thinking about writing this book, I was like, looking through what what else was available on the topic of gestational diabetes. And, I mean, since I've worked in public policy and trained a lot of medical professionals on gestational diabetes, I mean, I, I understand the conventional diet inside and out. And, and I also know that it doesn't work super well. But some of the resources available, you know, just like Amazon Books and some other places, are just Straight up bad information. I was like, yeah, oh, there's God. Yeah. I mean, incorrect, straight up incorrect information. But, but even like the gestational diabetes meal plans, and you know, they're suggesting for breakfast you have oatmeal with a banana and honey in it, and that that's the absolute opposite of what a mom should be having for breakfast. So I was like, oh my gosh, I not only is there this whole research thing I need to go into, but I just need to give moms. Um, you know, just better, more accurate information because I know how how confusing it is and how frustrating it would be to get this diagnosis. You buy some like cheap ebook online that tells you meal plans, and then your blood sugar gets worse. And then, yeah, how lost do you feel with that information? And that's what I would hear a lot from my clients and a lot from other people who'd reach out to work with me. Was you know, I tried this diet, my blood sugar is worse. What's going on? Like, well, the diet is fundamentally flawed. So let's fix yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. 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 So like I'm I'm just so grateful that you decided to take the time to write it down. Okay. So and like I said, I really liked seeing that you pointed out that the good protein levels and energy are necessary for a healthy pregnancy diet and that moms really need to make sure they're getting the, that in their diets. So you you said, you know, you mentioned butter. So why shouldn't moms be afraid to add more fat into their pregnancy diet? And also, are there certain types of fat that are better than others? Sure. Um, I'll start I'll start from the top. I mean, when it comes to gestational diabetes, since we're going to stay focused on this, if we know the foods that raise your blood sugar the most are carbohydrates and your blood sugar is better controlled when you eat less carbohydrates. That means you're also getting less energy, less calories from carbohydrates, and you need to get energy from somewhere. And when you look at, like, dietary studies of when they're trying to control the different macronutrients, right, we get calories from fat, carbohydrates, and protein, people can only eat so much protein. You really, like, can only eat maybe up to 30% of your calories from protein. It's just you're too full to eat anymore. And so it becomes a battle between getting your calories from carbohydrates or getting it from fat. And so if you eat fewer carbohydrates, you need to get your calories from somewhere. You can only eat so much protein, and you're going to need to eat more fat. So that's first and foremost, just getting enough energy. Um, you need to eat more fat. Then there's 
some key nutrients that are found in fats that aren't found in other foods. And some of those are fat-soluble vitamins, so vitamins A, D, E, and K, are all really important for the development of the baby. And if you're deficient in these, it can lead to a variety of problems. So you definitely want to get enough real food fat. And when I say real food fat, um, I really emphasize fats that come from not only like the olive oil and nuts and avocado, you know, those are all good. Plant-based fats are fine. Um, But also the fats that come from animal foods and specifically animals that have been raised properly. So cows that have been raised on grass and chickens that are pasture raised and allowed to peck on bugs and, you know, roam outside. Um, The fats and fish and seafood. um, If you eat dairy products, you know, eating whole fat dairy products, again, from grass-fed cows. There's a lot of really important fats in there um, or nutrients in those animal fats and some other nutrients that just sort of, they're not necessarily in fat, but they're in fatty animal products, and I go through that in, um, I believe it's chapter five in the book, where I go through some special foods to emphasize um, that you really need. And if you don't get those foods, there can be some issues with with the development of the baby. So um, those would be the the fats to emphasize. In terms of fats to avoid, um, the, the primary one to avoid is just overly processed vegetable oils, and especially trans fats, so when they've partially hydrogenated oils. And they've specifically linked trans fats to some issues with um, developing infants um, that more likely to have asthma, more likely to have eczema. Um, they can have vision problems because fats are really important in the vision development of the baby, mm-hmm. and trans fats will take the place of naturally occurring saturated fats, and they cause some dysfunction um, in that place. So uh, those would be the key ones to avoid. Otherwise, everything is pretty much fair game. Okay. Yeah, and, and I really, I think that you mentioned, too, that they, they've they shown that the trans fats can have an impact, a negative impact, like on insulin, too. Yeah, they can increase insulin resistance. And I, I guess we didn't really fully define gestational diabetes at the beginning, but this, this high blood sugar that you get with gestational diabetes is in part or sometimes almost solely the result of insulin resistance where your body is not as responsive to the hormone insulin, which normally helps to control your blood sugar. And trans fats interfere with the normal function of insulin. So, you know, having margarine in place of butter or using Cool Whip in place of real whipped cream or those canned frostings instead of homemade frosting, you know, you're getting a bunch of trans fats in your diet that you that you may not be aware of. And that, you know, that could be causing your blood sugar to go high, not because of excessive carbohydrates, but because you're eating the wrong types of fat. Yeah, that was really interesting. I didn't know that about trans fats, so I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Okay, so you, you really emphasize that a mom can listen to her body and so she knows what to eat during pregnancy, along along with monitoring her blood glucose levels. But what should she pay attention to day to day to help her stay on track? Well, I'm glad that you asked this question because I think a lot of times in the nutrition world you can kind of just get lost in, um, you know, numbersville. So, you know, calories and fat and protein, and especially with gestational diabetes, you know, there could be a heavy emphasis on 
carbohydrate counting or carbohydrate portions. And, and that's all helpful, but I think there's also a lot we can learn um, from from our bodies as well, just listening to our bodies. So I'm a big advocate of mindful eating and using hunger awareness to guide when is the right time to eat and how much you're going to eat at any given time. Um, so I go through a hunger awareness exercise um, in the book to help moms get a little more in tune with that because we have to realize, you know, our, our, our bodies are actually really smart machines. And yes. <laughs> when we're hungry, there's usually things, it's not just, you know, your your brain sending you a message that it's that it's time to eat just because you're, I don't know, randomly craving something or whatever. Like there's usually something going on on a, a physical level in your body that's guiding you to eat. And our blood sugar levels are pretty closely linked to our hunger and fullness levels. We may not be super aware of it to begin with because um, we kind of train ourselves out of listening to our bodies as we, as we grow up. But um, if you're hungry, a lot of times your blood sugar is also low and it's time to eat. And if you're not hungry, it's pretty rare that your blood sugar is going to be low. Your blood sugar is probably at an even keel level or maybe it's a little bit high. Um, so I think just getting really in tune with the hunger and fullness can, can help for moms. Um, so many women are just given a kind of cookie cutter, run of the mill meal plan with a certain number of carbohydrate exchanges and this amount of fat and this amount of protein and this amount of calories and it's like they have to stick with the plan. And they're like, yeah. but I'm not, I'm not hungry or I don't, I don't really want to eat a snack, but my meal plan is telling me to eat a snack. Um, I definitely buck the system in that I, I don't suggest you eat when you're not hungry. Um, that's, that's counterintuitive. So, you know, if you happen to be the woman who fits into the, you know, eat three meals a day and have three snacks a day, which is fairly typical for a gestational diabetes diet, great. You know, if your hunger and fullness are corresponding with the schedule, fantastic. But for some women, that's not the case. Um, so other than, you know, there's a few specifics that we like to, you know, keep women on with a gestational diabetes diet. But for the most part, I think it's, it's helpful to listen to your body and have that as an additional marker of how are you doing with, you know, what you're eating. Um, other than just your blood sugar numbers and other than this, you know, scheduled meal plan that you may have been given. Yeah, I think I, I really think that that's great helping helping moms to learn to listen. And I mean, that because that continues after pregnancy, too. And since one of the one of the issues with gestational diabetes is that a mom who has gestational diabetes is more likely to develop type two diabetes later. I think that just I think that it can be a really learning experience and learning how to eat well and listening to your body signals and everything. So that's a nice emphasis. Absolutely. And and that's something that's kind of um, swept under the rug a little bit with gestational diabetes. It's sort of a, okay, this is something I just need to worry about during my pregnancy. And if you're given a really miserable diet, I mean, if, I don't blame you for not wanting to, to continue yeah. that way of eating postpartum, <laughs> right? Um, but if you're given this more, you know, freeing, um, you know, real food approach where there's a lot of wiggle, wiggle room in adjusting what you're eating um, based on your hunger and fullness levels. You get to include delicious foods like avocado and butter yeah. and yeah, beef and food. eggs and, you know, all these things that would normally be restricted um, on a conventional diet. 
you know, this really can change the way you eat for life. And, and it's actually pretty important that it does change the way you eat for life because 50 to 70% of women with gestational diabetes will end up developing type 2 diabetes within 5 to 10 years after giving birth. And those statistics are crazy huge. So gestational diabetes is kind of like, you know, it's like a warning light coming on in your car. And it's like there are some issues with insulin that we should be aware of, and how you eat and how you move your body can help that. Yeah, and that's great to know. Okay, so the the number one question that I get from my students, like any time I send a survey or just when they send me questions to go over on our on our weekly get together, the number one question that I get is, "What do I eat?" So I I think that healthy pregnancy diet is overwhelming for moms, without them even thinking about blood sugar or carbs or anything. So, do you have any tips to make this? less overwhelming for moms who need to focus on it maybe even more than a mom who's not worried about her blood sugar levels? I would say, and I'm getting some feedback. Are you getting feedback on your end? I got a little bit, but I think that it's gone now. Okay. Well, you can cut that and I'll just keep going. Okay. So to make the whole eating thing a little bit easier, I like to just give a sort of basic intro into how food affects your blood sugar. And this is something that I found when I worked clinically. I would I would actually give all of my clients this information, not just the women with gestational diabetes, because how food impacts your blood sugar matters to everybody. It happens to matter more yeah. when you have gestational diabetes. But it's yeah. something just to be – it's helpful to be aware of it because – for example, if you eat a food that, um, or a combination of foods that spikes your blood sugar really quickly, it tends to drop your blood sugar really quickly, and then you want to eat again fairly soon after eating. So for people who, you know, say they have a, a meal-sized portion of food and they're hungry half an hour afterwards, that tells me they probably had a spike and a drop in their blood sugar, and it's probably not the best combination of foods to keep them satisfied and to nourish their baby. I mean, ideally, our, what we eat for a meal should keep us full for at least a few hours, you know. Um, yeah. So, you know, first and foremost, I would say just get comfortable with um, which foods are high in carbohydrates and make sure that you combine those foods with some other foods that have a source of fat or protein. Not just so your blood sugar levels are stable, but so you're not you know, starving all the time, you're not, you know, having to have a snack every hour on the hour, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just to yeah. your your time for other stuff, um, but also to just prevent you from, from overeating. So, for example, you know, if you're having an apple, and, you know, apple is a healthy food, um, but an apple contains carbohydrates. So, if you're having an apple, Ideally, if you want to stay full for more than, you know, half an hour or so, you maybe want to combine it with something that also has some fat and protein. So maybe that's a small handful of almonds that has fat and protein, you know, built into it right there. Or maybe if you eat dairy products, you could have, you know, a, a plain Greek yogurt with it. Full fat, of course, because you need that healthy fat. Um, but that would change the way that your body digests your 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 foods, it slows down how quickly you break down those carbohydrates, 
and it just keeps you fuller and satisfied longer. And as a byproduct, doesn't spike and drop your blood sugar. So that's just like the, the very basic level thing that I think is helpful for everybody, pregnant or not, diabetic or not, um, to understand. And then from there, I just recommend that women get familiar with some of these key like fertility foods, these foods that provide a lot of um, nourishment for their growing baby, and try to emphasize including yeah. those um, during their days and weeks um, as they're pregnant so they're not developing any um, nutrient deficiencies. Um, so now along those lines, are are there any vitamins or supplements that might help a mom with her blood sugar that she may want to make sure that she includes along with just the nutrient-dense foods she's getting? Um, sure. I will, I'll mention a couple of them. Um, one of them is vitamin D. And, you know, with any supplement, you want to talk to your doctor and check with them if you, if you need it or not. But when they've done studies on vitamin D, we know that it impacts your insulin resistance. We talked about trans fats making insulin resistance worse. Vitamin D yeah. makes insulin resistance less of an issue. So it makes your insulin and okay. your blood sugar regulation work uh, properly. And it does so also during pregnancy. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of women are deficient in vitamin D, just like actually most of the population is probably deficient in vitamin yeah. D as well. But pregnancy um, uh, makes your body use up vitamin D much quicker than when you're not pregnant. I mean, it plays a key role in the the bone development of the baby, that's like, you know, basic level. But also vitamin D is involved in all of these different genes in your body. And you think of growing a baby, I mean, you're, you're transferring genetic information to your child that can affect their disease risks and other things for life. And if you're deficient in vitamin D, there's some, there can be some carryover effects um, to the baby. So I highly recommend that women get their vitamin D levels check um, ideally early in pregnancy if you can but anytime during pregnancy um, it's done via a blood test at your doctor's office and see where you're at and if your vitamin D levels are low um, take a supplement a vitamin D3 supplement um, also sun exposure is one of the other than supplements actually sun exposure is the way you get most of your vitamin D not widely distributed in high amounts um, in foods other than cod liver oil if you're taking that. Um, so it is something that you'd probably want to supplement with if you're deficient. Um, and the majority of pregnant women are, are low in it, like I said. So it's a fairly safe um, supplement to take. Supplement studies that have been done on it, they've given fairly high amounts of vitamin D and had no adverse outcomes and only better outcomes for moms. So the moms with normal vitamin D had lower blood sugar levels, lower risk of preeclampsia, lower rates of preterm labor, um, and their infants had better uh, vitamin D levels as well. So that one is, is a key one. I'd also mention that um, probiotics are helpful. So probiotics okay. are the bacteria that naturally live on and within our body, mostly in our digestive tract. And that actually helps with our blood sugar levels as well. Um, our bodies are made of 10 times more bacteria, bacterial cells than they are human cells. So we are, you know, we are made of a ton of bacteria. And if the bacteria is out of balance or um, inadequate bacteria or the wrong types of bacteria, sometimes 
you know, your your blood sugar metabolism will be a little messed up. So, um, oh, that's really interesting. A, yeah. So um, I'm a huge fan of fermented foods. If if you can get those, so you know, kefir and sauerkraut and kimchi. Um, if you do kombucha, a little bit of kombucha is fine. Just make sure you're not doing one that's really high in sugar because some of those are are pretty sugary. So yeah, yeah that's a, a wee bit on the sour side. Um, and if it's, you're buying one at the store, just check the carb counts on it. Um, but those are great ways to boost your probiotic levels. Um, just eating fermented foods, that's how, you know, humans traditionally got their probiotics. Uh, but also supplements are a possibility for probiotics as well. Um, and then there's one other, there's one other that I'll mention, which is magnesium. And I mean, there's so many nutrients that are, that are related to like blood sugar metabolism and healthy pregnancy. So I feel like I'm kind of cherry picking here, but I, I want to pick like the, the most important ones and the ones that we have the most research um, behind at this point. And magnesium plays a role in our blood sugar and our insulin levels. And again, just like vitamin D, a lot of people are deficient in magnesium. Um, and based on, you know, the way that we grow our food these days, there's, you know, it's kind of like mass-produced mass food and not a whole lot of effort is spent on, on replenishing the soil and, you know, yeah. raising animals on pasture and all that. So, I mean, you're going to get more minerals from when you buy your foods from producers that have really, you know, spent time putting energy back into their soil fertility and back into the land. So, you know, organic produce, biodynamic produce, local produce, where the producers are actually, you know, putting manure on the fields or maybe they, like, rotate their crops, um, those have higher levels of magnesium. Animals that graze on pasture, because they're eating mineral, you know, magnesium-rich greens rather than mm-hmm. genetically modified grains, they have higher magnesium levels in, in their meat and in their bones if you're making, like, bone broth or something. Um, so that, that's key. Um, but a magnesium supplement is, is a great way to get a little extra boost if you don't take much. They've actually linked um, adequate magnesium, can help reduce um, blood pressure and preeclampsia, can help your insulin levels and your blood sugar levels. So it's a really, um, really nice thing to have on board. And if you do, like, um, like you can do an Epsom salt bath or an Epsom salt foot bath and you can absorb it yeah. into your skin, that's a fantastic way. So not all these things are, you know, supplements per se that you take like in a, in a pill form like you can get them from other places you can get them from food some of them you can vitamin d you make from the sun magnesium you can absorb through your skin so it's kind of kind of cool to look at some of these different nutrients in that light yeah that's cool and i know that magnesium is helps several other pregnancy complaints so that's one of the ones that i recommend often it was really cool to learn that it might help with blood sugar levels too yeah Okay, so can you've mentioned this a couple times, so let's dig into it. Can exercise help moms control their blood sugar levels? Yes, it can. And it does so because exercise um helps your, you know, when you when you move your body and your muscles are using up energy, they use the glucose or the sugar in your bloodstream to fuel their activity. So, exercise is a great way to reduce your blood sugar and there's several studies that have looked at exercise during pregnancy, even exercise before pregnancy, um, and found that it improves uh, blood sugar levels. 
they did a study on um, – this is one I always like to mention because people ask me, you know, can gestational diabetes be prevented? And they did one study where they looked at women uh, pre-pregnancy. They were looking at their exercise, exercise levels, and they found that women mm-hmm. that exercise in the year prior to conception up to 20 weeks of gestation, and they were exercising between two to three times per week. So not like crazy, you know, over-exercising. <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty, pretty moderate amount of exercise. Um, their risk of gestational diabetes was reduced up to, I believe it was up to 78%. Um, it was a dramatic decrease wow. in gestational yeah. diabetes because your body is more efficient at using glucose at using energy. So, you know, when people talk about their metabolism, well, my metabolism is slow or my metabolism is fast. Um, When you exercise, you increase your metabolism. And that means there's less sugar hanging around your bloodstream to cause problems. Um, So it's very, very effective pre-pregnancy and during pregnancy. And the recommendation is to get about 30 minutes of exercise um, per day at minimum. You can do more than that. Um, but I'll see a huge change in blood sugar numbers. Like sometimes we'll try all these different things with food to to lower the blood sugar and we'll be moderately successful and there'll be, you know, talks of the doctors needing to start them on insulin. And it's like, well, how how are your activity levels? Uh, I don't really walk. And sometimes, you know, 20 minutes of walking can be the difference between requiring medication or not. And that, I think, is just really speaks to the power of exercise as as medicine. Okay, so we know that exercise and diet can help a mom, but what if she's doing, you know, she's checking all those boxes, she's doing everything right, she's using evidence-based, lower-carbohydrate diet, but she's still having trouble controlling her blood sugar levels. Can a medication or insulin work for her and in conjunction with the diet that you advocate? Yes, most definitely. And in fact, it's actually safer, and I talk about this in the book, you know, it's it's safer to do pretty much everything you can with the food and the exercise first to see where, like where your baseline blood sugar levels are at with these changes before you start medication or insulin because then your doctor can more carefully choose the dosage and match that correctly with what's going on with your blood sugar patterns. Um, Whereas sometimes people will get the news that they need to go on medication, and if they haven't made dietary changes, if they make those in conjunction with starting the medication, then you could be, like, kind of doubling up on lowering your blood sugar, and you can go hypoglycemic. Um, or have, you know, have low blood sugar. And that can be, that can be kind of, well, that's an issue. It can be, you know, dangerous. Yeah. It can also be life-threatening if it goes too low. Um, so, yes, they can work together. And I'd say it depends on the medication that a mom is taking. So, for example, um, so there's usually three medications that are used during pregnancy. So you have insulin, metformin, and gliburide. Um, I'll start with gliburide, for example, and this one is is my least favorite of medications used during pregnancy. It has some some unsavory side effects, um, which some newer studies that even came out after the book was written um, have mm-hmm. been have been uh, uncovered, which makes it a little eh, a little uncomfortable recommending that one. 
and I go into that in okay. the um, Real Food for Gestational Diabetes course. But with uh, with glyburide, there is a higher risk that your blood sugar can drop too low, and glyburide stimulates your your pancreas to produce more insulin. So if you're already eating a low carbohydrate diet and then you start taking glyburide, it can actually drop your blood sugar too low. So if you're taking glyburide, you you need to eat more carbohydrates, plain and simple. Okay. Um, and that's going to be that's going to vary depending on the woman. So they're probably going to want to amp up their carbohydrates back up depending on how they respond to medication. Metformin doesn't cause your blood sugar to drop too low, so that one is a fairly fairly safe one to remain on the diet that's working for you. And then insulin can be really carefully matched to the carbohydrate intake that you're eating. So you can eat a low-carbohydrate diet or a high-carbohydrate diet and be on insulin, and, you know, you're taking the insulin to make up for what your pancreas is not producing. So you can match the dose. Um, But, again, that just needs to be worked out with your medical team. Um, So they can – because there's all different – like when it comes to insulin – there's all different insulin regimens, different types of insulin, different timing of insulin, um, how many doses you're taking per day, you know, when you check your blood sugar, how exercise impacts it. There's all these extra considerations to um, just remember when you're taking a medication. It just gets a lot more complex. Um, so those are things that are best discussed with the healthcare team, but I do, in the book, go through these different um, medications so you at the very least, you can understand how they work, um, what some of the risk factors or side effects can be from taking them, and how to safely adjust your diet and exercise to match them. And, of course, then there's all the individual stuff that you got to work out with your healthcare team. Yeah, okay. So I think that – but that gives the mom a good starting place on where to consider things and where to talk. So that's good. Thanks, Lily. Yeah, you bet. Okay, you have a chapter that's called Questioning the Conventional Dietary Approach to Gestational Diabetes, and it really digs into the science behind your diet recommendations. I know that as a birth worker and as a researcher myself, I really appreciated this. So listeners who want to dig into that can get all the research in that chapter, but I was kind of hoping you might could give us a little summary about why you think conventional treatment for gestational diabetes is flawed. Sure. Well, we talked about some of it already, I think. We talked about the low-calorie issue, uh, which can limit the amount of nutrients that a mom um, might have available for her growing baby. I mentioned the carbohydrate issue, where if you're recommending a diet that's higher in carbohydrates, you're you're pretty much guaranteeing they're going to have high blood sugar and guaranteeing they're going to require medication and insulin. So that's why there's such a high, quote-unquote, failure rate. Um, with that diet. Um, And then there's also some misconceptions around, um, you know, what it means to be low carbohydrate during pregnancy and um, whether or not you'll go into something called ketosis where your body is Mm -hmm. in sort of of considered like fat burning mode. If you're not eating a lot of carbohydrates, then your body will start to burn fat for fuel, more than carbohydrates for fuel. Um, And when I was going through all the literature on this, what was really shocking for me is that I uncovered that there's very little data to support this, you know, magical 175 grams of carbohydrates per day for pregnant women. Um, so how that number was decided upon is kind of 
pseudoscientific. Um, so I go through how that was, how that number was created and why it's kind of become the gold standard. Um, but then I also started looking at, you know, what happens with normal pregnancy metabolism. Like, so how do your blood sugar levels naturally change during pregnancy? And is, mm -hmm. are ketones naturally present during pregnancy? Like, all these things that we get so concerned about. It was like, what what is going on with normal pregnancy? Yeah. Um, and, you know, what was really shocking to me was that most pregnant women are going to experience ketosis during their pregnancy at one point or another. Um, there's different types of ketosis that you can experience, and there's one type that's really dangerous, and that happens in women with type 1 diabetes who somehow did not get enough um, insulin from, you know, they have to take insulin shots because their body doesn't produce insulin. So if there's a mismanagement yeah. in dosing or something goes on, you can go into a very, very serious state called diabetic ketoacidosis. And and that's not what I'm referring to here. It's the normal, natural thing that, that pregnant moms might encounter. Um, but, you know, I was really surprised to see that it's actually kind of normal for women to go into ketosis, that ketones can actually provide essential, they call them essential cerebral lipids, so brain fats, healthy brain huh. fats for the growing baby, um, that the carbohydrate recommendations don't have any backing and that there can actually be benefits for both mom and baby by eating um, fewer carbohydrates uh, and keeping the blood sugar stable and keeping the insulin levels uh, lower. What I actually found was that in normal pregnancy, blood sugar levels are depressed about 20% below what a normal non-pregnant adult would be experiencing. And there's a reason for that. And to go against that and put people on a very high-carbohydrate diet that's raising their glucose levels above normal doesn't doesn't make sense. Um, so that's that's all summarized in Chapter 11. It's kind of challenging to, like, go through everything because I think I have something like 30-something, you know, scientific references to, yeah. to back everything yeah, else that I taped. But, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's like a dense section. I really think that gestational diabetes is, can be so simple to manage and it's so, I don't know, I feel like my approach is very common sense, but at the same time, because it does differ from conventional guidelines, I have that section in there for people who really want to delve into the research. And I'm glad that I put it in there. I almost didn't because I didn't want to, you know, freak people out with all these big medical terms. And I was really writing this book yeah. for the mom with gestational diabetes. Um, but what's been really nice is that, you know, there's quite a few medical providers and dietitians, midwives, nurses, doctors who have reached out and been like, thank you for compiling this because I always felt this way and I didn't have the data to back me up. Um, so I just happen to be the person that, you know, put it all together for people, quite a few women, even without gestational diabetes, that are referring to that, you know, if they happen to do a low-carbohydrate pregnancy, um, they are referring to that chapter to sort of back them up <laughs> when their medical doctors are like, what are you yeah. doing? The baby needs lots of carbohydrates yeah. to grow. You know, you're, you're, a lot of women are told that, you know, you, you, you require you know, high carbohydrate intake for the baby to grow properly. And that's simply not true. So hopefully that'll just be a, a resource for the women that need it um, to delve into the details. Yeah, I mean, I, I really appreciate you, you deciding to go ahead and put it in there. That's great. So thank you again, Lily. You bet.
Okay. I think so many women, they need to hear this for pregnancy health, for their baby's health, and as you've covered, even for their lifelong health. So how can listeners get a copy of your book, and where can they find out more about you? Sure. Well, you can find my book at Real Food for GD, GD for gestational diabetes, dot com, and that links to the uh, book page, which you can purchase on Amazon as a Kindle or print book. It also links to the Real Food for Gestational Diabetes course for women that want a little more support, more resources to help make managing gestational diabetes easier. Uh, and then you can also find me on my main blog, which is PilatesNutritionist.com, um, and I put out a weekly uh, blog post uh, that includes either recipes, interviews, um, and other resources that relate to, you know, general nutrition, but also a lot on prenatal nutrition and uh, gestational diabetes. Um, oh, and I should also mention that for women who have GD, I also have a free video training series on realfoodforgd.com if you'd want to get more information about managing uh, gestational diabetes with real food. So that's something that you can sign up for. It's free. There's some um, downloadable resources that go along with it as well. Okay, that's awesome. And it, is your is your course like an online course too, so moms anywhere could take it? That's true. Yep. So it's um it's a fully online course. It has um, video lessons that guide you through, you know, what is gestational diabetes, coping with gestational diabetes, all the nutrition stuff. So pretty much fills in the gaps. If you saw a nutritionist and they gave you bad information, which You'll yeah. usually know when it's bad information when you show up, especially if you're a person who already eats real food. Um, or if you didn't get a chance to see a nutritionist and you're completely confused trying to make sense of all this, um, there's videos that would guide you through exactly how to, you know, know which foods are carbohydrates, count carbohydrates, combine things into a real food meal plan, understand mindful eating and implement mindful eating. Uh, there's a section on exercise, on medications, um, tips for postpartum, so what do you do after the baby is born to prevent developing type 2 diabetes, because there's a lot that they can do. Um, so it kind of guides you through the whole spectrum. So there's videos, PDF handouts, um, there's a Facebook support group that goes along with it. So it's a really nice, all-inclusive thing for moms that need a little more help. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, I can't, I mean, that's just awesome that you've put that together. So thanks for sharing that, and I'll definitely share that with students, too. All right. Uh, so thank you, Lily, for being here. Um, and I will put all this information in the show notes so that moms will know where to find you. Perfect. Thanks so much for the interview, Kristen. I just want to say thanks to Lily one more time. That was an awesome interview and awesome information, especially for those of you mamas who are worried about gestational diabetes or who just want to establish better eating habits for your lifelong health and that of your little ones. So enjoy. Be sure to check out the show notes. I'll have links to all of Lily's resources in those. And I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.